Hey, cheers to the women. Cheers to the women taking over Peach Pod. Heck yes. All right. Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I'm your host. And I'm excited today to welcome back one of our favorite guests onto this show, uh, Tori Slatton. She's an immigration attorney here in D.C. Uh, Tori, thanks for coming back to the show. It's always an honor. Um, And then we are also really excited today. We have an announcement for you guys. Uh, We're excited to introduce a new contributor, Megan Payne, to our show. Megan, welcome to Peach Pod. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Um, so before we get started, Megan, do you want to just tell our listeners a little bit about about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, by day, I work for a software company that will remain unnamed for reasons. But um, my side business is called Bayou Techie, and I provide IT support, mostly online presence um, support for businesses and individuals. And one of the things that Bayou Techie has been doing is working for local political campaigns. So it's really exciting. Nice. Well, Megan, we're excited to have you here. Uh, For our listeners, you'll hear Megan um, off and on. She may take the place of me and Luke on some shows. She may join uh, for some three-way shows. Um, You'll hear her quite a lot on this pod. It's going to give me a little bit of a rest uh, to have you here. So we're excited to have you. So on this week's show, we've got two topics for you guys. Uh, For our first topic this week, we're going to look back at the Masterpiece Cake Shop Supreme Court decision. Uh, This was a decision that came out of the Supreme Court just a few weeks ago, and it taps right into uh, the religious liberty and LGBT rights debate that's been ongoing in Georgia, in Georgia politics for quite a while now. So we're going to dig into that decision and talk a little bit about um, if it's going to have any impact on where some of the Republicans stand on uh, LGBT rights issues in Georgia. And then for our second topic this week, we're going to dive back into the issue of immigration. Um, We had quite an extensive conversation on this with uh, Cody Hall and Luke on our show last time. Um, But there's been a lot going on with this policy issue, as always. Uh, We've got a bill pending in the House this week. We had a failed vote last week, so we'll talk about some of that. And then uh, some of the atrocious policy that you've seen from the Trump administration recently. We'll have an update on where those policies stand. Um, But first, let's go ahead and dive in on this Masterpiece Cake Shop Supreme Court decision. So uh, just a few weeks ago, the Supreme Court issued a ruling in this case that pit a same-sex couple against uh, the owner of a baker of a bakery in Colorado, and this baker Jack Phillips, uh, he refused to bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple that came into his shop, um, and he uh, took his case to a, a Colorado agency that is um, supposed to iron these things out the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and the commission rule in Colorado ruled against him saying that he was wrong to refuse service to this gay couple. And so this case, he he appealed it, it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And uh, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the baker in this case, um, in a seven to two margin, uh, but they issued a pretty narrow ruling in this case. Um, So Tori, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what the outcome of this case was and what this ruling means? 
So this case, a lot of people were expecting this to be kind of the next notch in like LGBT rights. You know, first came gay marriage and then little by little we are going to get to full LGBT civil rights. Um, We've been debating the subject since I was in law school, which uh, so about six years ago now um, is when I started law school. And I remember arguing about it my one all year and it still has not been decided. Um, In my opinion, it was time. Like, it had come to fruition. It was time to make a stand. And that didn't happen in this case. What they ruled is that the lower courts and um, who ruled, who was the opposition, the uh, Colorado Commission on Civil Rights or something? Yeah, some sort of civil rights, like administrative commission in the state. So the court ruled that they did not act in a neutral behavior towards religion. And they ruled off of that. So basically, they were saying um, that the cake makers were deprived due process. And when you're ruling that narrow, it basically only applies to um, the party in this case. And so there's no way to expand it and set precedent. So Megan, where does this ruling stand um, in terms of the, the march towards full civil rights recognition for LGBT people in the U.S.? So it doesn't, quite frankly. Um, again, like, like Tori was saying, then, you know, it's, and, and you mentioned it too, the ruling is extremely narrow. It doesn't rule on anything but the case. And it's almost like the justices went out of their way to write their decision so it's not applicable to anything else. So from a legal, like from a true legal perspective, it did nothing to advance LGBT rights. Now from a more social perspective, it actually probably caused a little bit of a step backwards. And why do you think that is? So people didn't understand or didn't care what the ruling actually said. And there was another business owner somewhere, either Kentucky or Tennessee, that decided, well, since the baker was supported in this case, you know, supported in the sense that he he won, it's now okay to say, okay, well, we're not going to serve gay people. Well, and when the court doesn't set a precedent, then that's a natural conclusion for a lot of people to come to, right? Right. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah, and this is also complicated by the way in which, you know, politicians and public figures talk about this. Um, So to tie this into Georgia a little bit. So this has been an ongoing debate in Georgia as they've debated different versions of Religious Freedom Restoration Acts or RIFRAs that you've probably heard us talk about before. Um, But very often, the, the thing that always sticks out to me is Republicans on this issue always talk about this issue in a very broad way. Um, so as to not be very specific about the actual legal issues that they're talking about, combined with what the outcome would be in terms of whether or not you can refuse service to somebody trying to, um, you know, patronize your es- establishment. And so Casey Cagle, uh, when he talked about this, he said that you know the Supreme Court confirmed what we already knew: the Constitution protects religious exercise and expression. There's no clause that says unless the left deems it offensive way, uh, you know, it's campaign season, so they're going to take shots at, at, um, at Democrats and the left. Brian Kemp, the other Republican in this race, said, as governor, I'll stand up to the radical left and the politically correct. We will never apologize for protecting religious liberty and living out our faith. Um, the the issue that I tend to notice when Republicans talk about this is that is that leaves a lot of room for interpretation as to what that actually means. And a lot of Republican voters and, and the kind of Republicans who attend, you know, your weekend county breakfasts and things like that, they hear 
sort of these open-ended quotes like this and these sort of open-ended um, stances on religious liberty and, and sticking up for uh, people who are Christian as sort of a, a license to discriminate. And so, um, you know, there, there was some alarm among people, I think, who, who had kind of a shallow understanding of what this outcome was, but th- this does not establish a blanket right to discriminate, right? Not this case specifically. Yeah. It depends on how you're going to interpret, how it will be interpreted, like Megan was saying, by the public and um, how lower courts will interpret it in future cases. This case didn't necessarily set any kind of precedent. Um, the problem with RIFRA and RELUPA, which is kind of like a sister act to RIFRA, it mostly applies to prisons, is that the Supreme Court and then Congress have gone back and forth on this so much, but it's been um, mostly held back by the Supreme Court saying that um, the laws can't really extend to states in the way that uh, the act was originally written. Now, to counter that is a lot of um, states have passed what like the legal world calls them baby RIFRAs, which are basically like statewide RIFRAs because uh, states have more power, I guess, to do it on this level because they're not being compelled by the federal government. And I personally don't really know what that would look like for Georgia if they were to pass a RIFRA. Yeah, and this has been kind of at the heart of the debate on the RIFRA issue is, does the language that's actually in a RIFRA proposal in Georgia, does it basically extend the same legal principles and protections to people um, interacting with state governments as it does currently to people interacting with the federal government? So basically the same protections for people's religious liberties not being infringed that already exist on the federal level, or does it go even further um, and the thing I think we've noticed about these RIFRAs uh, from sort of a first phase, because um, RIFRA was a federal law that came out of Congress in the 90s, and then the Supreme Court decided that RIFRA did not apply to state governments. And so in this first wave of RIFRAs, states were passing basically a copy-paste version of the federal one to create the same protections. And in this new wave that's sort of come up since um, since the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage, is expanding the language that's in these RIFRA laws to cover more than just um, some sort of discrim- some sort of action that burdens your religious practice by a state government, and and trying to extend it into this realm of refusing um, service um, privately. And I kind of want to make a legal point real fast. Um, is that the reason there's some things that RIFRAs, no matter like how expansive you make it, can never touch. And one of those things is a protected class. So if you said my religion means that I can't serve um, black people or I can't serve women, you know, um, in my restaurant, you're not allowed in here if you're a certain race or gender, then RIFRA could not apply to that because it is a federally protected class. LGBT as of right now is not a protected class. And that's part of why uh, these cases are still going up. The court could have ruled in this case that it's a protected class and it chose not to. So I think eventually it would be, but until that happens. Um, Megan, what do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely agree with your assessment there. And I also just kind of want to call out what I think is the elephant in the room, which is this is not religious freedom. This is Christian freedom, more more specifically the fundamentalist Christian, possibly evangelical right. So when we're talking about, oh, my religion this and my religion that, usually it's in the context of someone saying, well, 
the Bible says this, therefore you can't do it and therefore I'm not going to support you. It's almost never brought up what the Torah says or the Quran says or the tenets of Wicca or Satanism. You know, I would really love to see Satanism get brought up just to see what happens. Well, and this is interesting um, as it relates to now former state senator Josh McCoon. He um, just ended his campaign for secretary of state when he lost in the runoff. But he was a champion of RIFRA in the state Senate. And he would often bring um, some sort of non-Christian example of religious liberty issues to to bear in this debate. He um, talked about a decision a few years ago. I think this was at um, a small college in Georgia where somebody who was a Muslim was not allowed to wear their headscarf in class. And you know, when he was on the radio in Atlanta or when he was, you know, among people where he had to kind of, you know, defend or, or, or make this riffer issue more benign, he would, he would often use this example. And so my curiosity about uh, Josh McCoon this whole time is if he uses that same example when he's at a county breakfast with some Republicans down in South Georgia, because I don't know that they would be rallying around um, this issue. Um, Megan, one of the things that uh, Justice Kennedy does in this decision is he sort of sets up this uh, situation where where the rights of two different groups have to be balanced, um, that the free exercise rights of religious people should not be overly burdened, but that, you know, if the, the, the free exercise of religion should not also harm LGBT people trying to do things like buy a wedding cake in this instance. Um, what are your thoughts on how that balancing should work? Um, you know, should, is this an issue of balance or, or is this a, you know, a straightforward issue of um, whether or not somebody has civil rights or not in the public sphere? I do think it's an issue of balance. It's actually one of the things that greatly concerned me about this case when I first started learning about it. Quite frankly, when I first started looking at it, I saw it as a lose-lose. I am definitely progressive and would consider myself liberal, but I'm also a business owner. And one of my biggest concerns was depending upon how this case, you know, how the decision came out, then sub-Nazi for LGBT couple. You know, for me, I really don't want to have to put my work behind something that I am fundamentally against. And so that's part of what this case seeks to understand and balance. And ultimately, this decision didn't touch it at all. But I think that in the coming years, we're going to see we're going to see that actually have to occur where the Supreme Court is going to have to figure out where that balance is. You know, is it that anyone can turn away anyone for any reason? No, that doesn't seem to be where the balance is. Um, is it related to creativity? That was definitely brought up in this case. Um, you know, is it is cake making an art? What if this were for housing or a meal? This would look completely different. So I think that that's where we're going to have to strike a balance. And I'm almost thankful that this case didn't because I was very apprehensive about what would be said. But at the same time, as I said, it was a lose-lose. So I think I, I still feel a great loss. And being a member myself of the LGBT community, I just I'm crushed by what happened. And so I'm hoping we find a balance soon. Can I respectfully disagree? 
Sure. Okay. Because for me, I think this case was an opportunity to define some of those lines. Maybe not all of the lines you mentioned, but at least maybe take that first step. And I think it's really civil rights doesn't necessarily mean that you're compelled to serve everyone all the time. Um, And I think one of the big issues of our time is, is LGBT a civil right? Do you have the same rights as a straight person? And we're still trying to decide that as a society, we're still like hashing that out. And it definitely didn't end with marriage debate. And so I think sometimes as a business owner, when you open something to the public, I think you inherently give up some of your rights. Um, And one of that is to discriminate against people. Um, You no longer have the right to discriminate if you open to the public. I can discriminate in my own home, but I can't discriminate in my business. And you turning somebody away because you have a moral dilemma is different from discrimination. But we haven't drawn the line because we haven't said that LGBT is in the same category as race and gender. And so I think that's what we're debating here. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really scary because the court could have drawn the line the other way. But I think right now, gray areas are almost worse um, in my opinion, and in the history of the court, because in when something is very wrong, it's almost better to completely overturn it later on. Or, you know, even if something's not fully, it doesn't fully lay out what the law is, at least it can give us maybe one of 10 pieces of what the law will be, because that's what happened with civil rights, too. You know, you started with loving um, the case that allowed uh, interracial marriage, and you slowly moved towards full Civil Rights Act. So I think, like... Um, so that's my opinion, but I, I do understand. I understand both sides of this debate, um, but I, I always want the court to rule definitively. I, I guess I feel like I don't have the trust that you do in the Supreme Court and the justices and that their ruling will will act, will be okay. I, I You know, with the political climate being what it is right now, my experience currently has just been that every time something can go wrong, it will. So that's part well, of that's part of my apprehension as well. And my trust might be very differently in a couple years if something happens, if Kennedy retires and we get another conservative judge. You know, right now we still have that balance. And I, I was lucky enough to like study law under the justices we have right now. And I do feel like it's one of the best courts of our time. But again, that could change very quickly. So I understand what you're saying. On the, on this, I'm interested in this question of balance and where we think a good line is because to me, there's there seems to me only one place to draw the line, and that's if you become a public accommodation, then like you said, you give up um, some of your rights. And so, to me, that sounds like if you have a public facing storefront that somebody could you know seemingly walk into off the street, if you're easily found on Google. All of these things that make up the opportunity that some just average same-sex couple could want to uh, get some kind of a service from you. In this case, it's a cake, but it really could be anything. Um, And so... You know, once you cross that line into being a public accommodation, then there, to me, there isn't any other place to push that line out further to say, oh, if you're a a business that has five employees or 10 employees, this doesn't apply to you. Or, um, you know, if your sales volume is below some sort of 
arbitrary number that that this wouldn't apply to you. And and so to me, the the place that you draw the line is, you know, it's a public accommodation, and and there is no ability, there is no legal protection for refusing service, or you're a private entity. And and while I would prefer that private entities not do that, there's almost no way to enforce that if you're not a public accommodation. But is there another place to draw a line in this case? I yeah, because I think what you're saying is like any public entity kind of can't refuse anyone or that that's what I'm hearing or that's like how people interpret it. Um, I remember when gay marriage was coming up and the debate, a lot of people were like, well, if you're allowed to, if a man is allowed to marry a man, then where is the line? It's like, can you marry a cocker spaniel? Can you, is polygamy okay? You know, it's like, where is the line? It's like, and at some point people are like two consenting adults. Can't that be the line? Like, isn't it okay to draw a line here? And the court you know, did draw a line there. And I was like, okay, it is okay that we make this thing okay without just having like the floodgates open and just letting everyone, you know, like I'm not allowed to marry a toothbrush even though like I'm allowed to marry a woman. And I, so, I mean, that's a very extreme example, but it also does apply here to some extent is we can say, no, you can't discriminate against LGBT without just like opening the floodgates for if you are in public business and you have to serve everyone all the time, we can make those lines. So I think for me, yes, it, you know, like I was saying earlier, do you give up some of your rights? What What do you think? I definitely share that. Uh, I, I Not that I share that fear, like what you're saying speaks to my fear of, yes, that's my concern. I'm terrified the floodgates will open and they're going to say, okay, well, if we make this concession or we make this change, then everything's permissible. So my fear as a business owner is going to be, okay, well, I'm a one-person business. I'm slammed. They know that I'm progressive. They're conservative. They think I'm discriminating against them, but really I am just inundated with work, so I've turned them down. And now it's on me because I can't refuse service to anybody to explain why I'm refusing service to them and not get dragged through the court in the process. Yeah, except the cake maker did specifically say it's like, I could take this cake, I could make it, but I'm not doing it because you're gay. Um, right. Well, he, that's one he part of this case. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was uh, one of the things that was that came up frequently when I was talking to my dad, who's a lawyer about this case, is that it's not illegal to be an asshole, even if we want it to be. <laughs> um, but it is illegal to discriminate. Um, if oh, absolutely. It's, if, it, if it's something that the court has decided that it's not it, that you can't discriminate against if there's like a class of people that you're not allowed. And so I just think that it's OK to draw the line here. Um, a lot of people would disagree with me, though, and I understand the fear. I get that because, I mean, everyone has had this fear every time we've kind of opened the doors a little bit throughout history. So do we think that line, though, is about an attempt at balance from Kennedy from the perspective of somebody who is religious and who would like to refuse service. I mean, this, this line to me sort of blanketly says that you can't, at least when it comes to people who may be in a protected class. But, but so from, from the from a religious person's point of view, they're probably going to say that that that's not balance at all. I don't know. I, what do you think, Megan? I don't know. I'm just chewing on that myself. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I have fully formed thoughts about that quite yet. Well, because it is hard because there are 
lots of religious people who gay marriage is against their religion. And so I think now we're kind of creeping up to, even though throughout history, people have used religion to discriminate, this is, um, I think a lot of religious people would say more directly in um, contradiction to what they believe. And so I think it's more than just First Amendment rights or, you know, freedom of expression. I think it does go down to like freedom of religion. And I mean, the court kind of punted the ball on this one. They didn't want to touch that. Um, but they will have to eventually. This case can't. This case has been around for, I mean, more than six years. I heard about it six years ago when I started law school. But it's been around, you know, since before gay marriage. And it's uh, when when are we going to decide this? It will happen eventually. I mean, it's going to be complicated. They just bunted it down the line. They did. Well, and the other issue with this is defining religion and the fact that some of the terms being used are, quote unquote, sincerely held religious beliefs. Are they sincerely held if you're just an asshole? (laughs) I don't know. Like, I have such a hard time with this case. Like, I, I really, as I've said earlier, I see it as I can't get my head around seeing it as a lose-lose and I understand what you're saying and I really wish that we could just like this is the line and let's everybody stick to it and not go crazy Um, because I want the LGBT couple to be able to get a cake from wherever I want to be able to get gay married wherever (laughs) you know um, I mean but the court has defined religion time and time and time again like I mean there's the issue of like the pastafarian who said when he was in prison he needed to be served pasta every day and, like, the court has stepped in and multiple times just been like, no, this is not a deeply held religion, or no, there this is. And one of the arguments in this case, which is actually why this case got remanded and got sent back, was um, that the opposing party was telling the cake maker, you don't actually have a deeply held religion. And that was a problem because the court was like, yes, they do. You have to, you can't, you can't argue this piece of it and so for some reason we have to send it back and then argue it all again with the assumption that he has a deeply held belief and i do believe in this case he does it's i mean religion is one of the hardest things that we've ever uh debated in court because what is deeply held i mean like what if what if drugs are part of your religion as it generally is and the court has yeah that's come up with peyote yeah, it has, <laughs> which the court ultimately ruled like, no, you can't smoke peyote as part of your religion because it's against like national security interest or whatever. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, it's difficult that that's always going to be a problem. But we have a system in place and it's actually, in my opinion, it's worked pretty well so far. It hasn't been perfect, but it, I still believe I, I still believe in the courts. <laughs> I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> Is there... Is there another venue where these kind of decisions and, and these social disagreements would be better worked out than the courts? Because I can remember prior to the Oberfeld decision, um, there was this fear of same-sex marriage all of a sudden becoming legal in all 50 states and these fears from conservatives that all hell would break loose because this thing was changed overnight and that it would have been better to slowly do it state by state and let liberal states go first and all this is there is there any other venue for this or or is this the proper role of the court to you know iron out these differences and make a decision move forward many states have passed laws that have made lgbt a protected class within their state and that's really important because it protects more than like um whether or not you get a cake but also um if you can get fired for being gay 
And so, in my opinion, Congress can just pass a law making LGBT a protected class, and then you can no longer discriminate. That's not going to happen, though. I mean, y'all are the political experts. I don't know. What do you think? No, that's that's definitely not going to happen. And I, I do think that this is probably the only feasible venue, unfortunately. I mean, short of getting everyone to calm down, grab a slice <laughs> of pizza, a cup of coffee, glass of wine, beer, whatever, and just talk about it like humans... Yeah, it's got to be in the courts. <laughs> That's too crazy, though. Us all just agreeing and being really chill and talking it out like civil human beings. <laughs> right. Unheard of. <laughs> that is not the American way. Um, <laughs> so what are some of the other ways in which discrimination against LGBT people is an issue? Because clearly Oberfell did not solve all of the problems for same-sex couples or LGBT people. So what are some of the other um, instances of discrimination that LGBT people face? So Tori already touched on it, but it's something that I deal with in my day job. Um, not actually because not actually firsthand because my company actually has taken a lot of strides to create internal protections. But Georgia as a state doesn't have protections for LGBT employees. And we have a whole number of LGBT employees, especially since um, one of our offices in, is in the Atlanta area. Um, you know, they're us gays were everywhere. But, um, but you know, there are certain areas where it's more okay to be out in Atlanta is one of them. And especially our transgender employees, we are now establishing ways for these employees to transition at work and be safe and have their jobs protected and all of those things. Um, but that's not the case for a lot of companies. In fact, most of the companies that I've ever worked for are not this progressive. So that's just one of the most massive issues. And I mean, there's issues of technically in about half the states, you can not you can choose not to rent to somebody because they're gay. Um, you can still choose not to serve somebody because they're gay because they're not a protected class. And so, I mean, that's something that most people don't realize or understand. And actually, the majority of the American public, I think there's a study like agrees that you should not be able to be fired or uh, should not be subjected to housing discrimination because you're gay. But yeah, Oberfeld did not solve these issues. We have a long way to go. Seriously. All right. With that, so let's move on to our discussion on immigration. Um, so last time we talked about this, we talked about the horrific family separation policy that was put into place by the Trump administration through this new zero tolerance prosecution policy for anybody who crosses the border um, without papers. So since we discussed this last time, uh, the Trump, uh, President Trump has signed an executive order that he says is aimed at ending these family separ separations. I mean, in reality, that order appears to be aimed at allowing uh, parents and children to be detained together, but to be detained indefinitely. Um, and so there's a whole host of other issues that are going to come from both the policy goal that they're aiming for and the implementation of this whole thing, which has just been an absolute dumpster fire. Um, there are issues for the, the parents and children that have already been separated. There are issues with getting them reunited. And there's currently a push from the Trump administration to um, have parents who want to be reunited with their children give up both their own immigration case and the, the immigration case of their child in order to be reunited, but they would be reunited and deported. 
so there's a lot to get into. We'll we'll also talk about the pending vote in the House of Representatives this week. But um, Tori, let's start with you. So you're an immigration attorney. This is your day to day life. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about how this news has impacted you and and what your reaction to this really insane couple of weeks has been? So I don't obviously being in Washington D.C. I do not have clients that are on the border. I actually am going, considering going to the border next month uh, and volunteering because I, when I was an asylum officer actually working at USCIS, I did work with families at the border. So I kind of understand the law on that side. As far as, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions about this though. And on an emotional perspective, working with immigrants, I have been following this pretty closely. I am very excited to see how uh, the administration handles the fact that they just made a law that very, very clearly, like, there is a ruling, and it was the Flores case, which means a child can only be held in detention for 20 days. So essentially, they're going to have to let out the families in 20 days, or they're going to have to separate the families again. So yeah, Trump solved the problem that he created by signing this executive order. But my question is, what comes next? Because I mean, I think we're about a week away from these children being detained for 20 days, and then he's going directly against a judicial um, decision. Megan, what was your reaction to all this? I know you um, got to see some of this as it's gone on. Um, This has been probably one of the more memorable moments uh, for obviously for bad reasons from the Trump administration, maybe up there with the the early days of the Muslim ban in the beginning. Um, But what was your reaction to this news as it rolled out? Well, the first thing I did was Google the poem that's on the Statue of Liberty. You know, for those of you who are not familiar with it, I'll just go ahead and read it. It's called The New Colossus. It's a sonnet by American poet Emma Lazarus. And the part that is probably the most memorable that most people will think of is give me your tired, your poor, your, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. So I read this, I think of this, and now granted, people will say the Statue of Liberty was a present from Paris. We didn't, you know, it was from, it was from, it was from France, you know, it wasn't our idea, whatever, but. We've put it up and kept it up for all of these years. And this poem is by an American. So what the heck are we doing that we're so far away from something that was so deeply held by Americans not even all that long ago? I just, I'm baffled. I'm baffled too in that, I mean, my whole career has been in asylum. I was an asylum officer and now I practice like asylum immigration And what I've seen a lot of people talk about is, well, why are we letting illegal aliens or illegal immigrants, you know, like come in anyway? And I want to be like, applying for asylum is not illegal. If you avail yourself at a border and ask for asylum, then that is 100% legal. And we give you legal status until your claim is 100% adjudicated, which can be anywhere from one year to 10 years, depending on the complexity of your case. And so, I mean, when I hear that poem, I'm like, those are the people who are most in need, the people who are fleeing. And I want to say any family from Central America is fleeing. They're not coming here for economic reasons. You don't take your kid across Mexico, um, you know, because you think that there's going to be a better life. You're doing it because you're running away. And so, I mean, that's been the most frustrating part to me is the lack of 
um, understanding of what asylum is and how we have asylum comes from the Holocaust saying that we will never let anyone get to our borders and not let them in again who's fleeing persecution. That's what these people are doing. And I'm kind of amazed at like the lack of empathy for that. Well, our friends at Fox and Friends had a very different take on this issue. Um, here's what Brian Kilmeade from Fox and Friends had to say about that. He's trying to send a message to the other countries. This is not the way you do it because this is a country that has rules and laws. The port of entry would be one thing. We can boast of those laws, but we just can't let everybody in that wants to be here. And this is these are not, like it or not, these aren't our kids. Show them compassion. But it's not like he's doing this to the people of Idaho or uh, or um, or uh, Texas. These are people from another country, and now people are saying that they're more important than people in our country who are paying taxes who have needs as well. Yeah, they're still so. fucking kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, and asylum seekers, like I was saying earlier, it's legal, and like unless we're going to violate our you or agreements with the UN and like very very firmly held federal law and like basically the entire INA which is like um the handbook for immigration law that everyone in the immigration system was supposed to follow then we're ignoring very basic rights of these children which is that we have to adjudicate their cases fully and if they are in serious danger and it's legitimate then they do have they have a right to legal status here and if you don't like that then change the law i'm sorry right well and here's the other thing that i don't understand so these people who are saying this are potentially parents and they've got kids what if, God forbid, something happened and their child, they and their child went to another country and were separated? They would want their kids to have rights, but somehow that's just not even considered. It's that whole walk a mile in somebody else's shoes thing. It doesn't happen. Take it a step further. If you were in a country where, I mean, your daughter was almost certain to be raped your son was almost certain to be either um killed or recruited into a gang well i mean what choice do you have you would flee too and i i'm shocked at the lack of empathy here yeah this i i think gets into this other issue of whether or not these policies are effective deterrents and in setting aside the question of whether or not they're effective or not but the sort of ethical question of if you can be punitive to immigrants that are in your care right now as a way to deter future immigrants from coming, is that a good idea? Um, is that a good policy to be implementing? And, and to me, it's completely horrific that you would even make that calculation in the first place. But what do y'all think of this question of deterrence? Because this is something that also came up in the Obama administration. And I can remember Eric Holder uh, was out in front of a detention facility that they had opened during the Obama administration. And they were saying that they were, they were trying to make sort of a different case about deterrence where they were saying that the, the trek to get here from central America is very dangerous. Um, a lot of people in 2014, when this was an issue for the Obama administration, they were sending their kids with, um, people who they were paying to basically smuggle them up to the border. And so they were trying to say that, you know, this is not the place for your kids to come, but they were using the same sort of policies about we're going to detain your children. And so please do not send them here and trying to make a point that the, that this was not the right thing. Um, but what do you think about this question of deterrence, Tori? Is this a good idea or a terrible one? I mean, first off, I want to say, um, 
the argument that like oh liberals are only paying attention because like it's trump not obama that is true and i don't care the immigration system has been broken for a very long time and i'm i'm really glad that people are paying attention to this no matter what the reason is you're here um thank you megan um the other thing i want to say is anyone who thinks that this is a deterrent has a very very elementary understanding of how bad central america is right now when i was an asylum officer about half my cases were from central america because children had automatic priority um as an immigration attorney now i see a lot of uh i see and i hear a lot of stories and i really can't describe how bad the cases are I've had cases of child rape. Um, there was several people who, I mean, one tactic the gang uses is like decapitating, dismembering members of the family in front of people's houses. Um, when, you know, a family refuses to pay rent or refuses to like give up child for recruitment, um, there have been, you know, religious leaders who have had to watch members of their uh, c- congressional be um, tortured in front of them. So, I mean, the fact that it's like we're separating people at the border it is inhumane and it's horrible and it's something we should do and we need to address but i find it laughable when people are like oh it will be a deterrent because no matter like what we do at the border you know it's people are still going to come they are literally fleeing for their lives this isn't a comfort thing even though i think that we should make it as humane and appropriate as possible um that's my own opinion of it (laughs) well I want to just continue on that. How are they supposed to hear about it? They're fleeing for their lives. They probably Mm -hmm. aren't listening to radio or TV or chatting with neighbors or anything like that. They're running and probably hiding. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, if it's a deterrent, great. Maybe it is deterring the people who haven't left yet. But if they've already left, they're still coming. And I think as long as the gangs are in power until – that issue is addressed and it's not really a deterrent exactly so what do we think about some of the better options for what the trump administration should be doing if they were not both racist and incompetent (laughs) um in terms of you know how they how they should be caring for people as they come across the border i i've seen a lot of people point to this sort of like case management approach sort of similar to the way in which cases are handled in the welfare system where you get somebody who is a case manager for you they check they check in on you frequently um while your case is being run through the courts um particularly a family unit might uh, get released from detention um by the federal government, but they might leave with like an ankle monitor or or some of the other monitoring tools that are used um, in criminal justice. Do we think that some approach like that is better or is this a choice, um, the choice that's often presented by conservatives to progressives, which is either you're for uh, the enforcement of the law or you're for open borders? I mean, better than causing you know, reactive attachment disorder in children or holding people as hostages? Yeah, probably. But we're still treating these people as criminals. And last time I checked, innocent until proven guilty was something that was pretty closely held by most Americans. So I think they're really what they're owed is a due process and to be treated like human beings and innocent ones at that. Well, and I'm actually not even against the ankle monitor, you know, until their cases are adjudicated, mostly because a lot of these cases they do qualify for asylum. And if they get their day in court and they're in front of, you know, an immigration judge, you know, or 
they don't qualify and maybe like they don't have a right to be here if like their lives are really okay back home that that's not the case for most people though um but i mean what i say is like and this is something that i think a lot of conservatives can get behind hire more asylum officers and more immigration officers i think it's absolutely insane that it takes three years for an asylum case to go through right now i mean that's what my clients deal with three to ten years for their cases to go through like that's that's unreasonable and in that time they're in limbo and so i that's what i think and but i mean it's hard because asylum officers are like a humanitarian branch and nobody wants to up that up in this administration but i mean hire more ijs hire more asylum officers get these cases done and then detention isn't necessary or at least like give them some kind of like probation and make them check in i have a question about that yeah. actually so what happens to these people while these cases are dragging on for three years can they work can they live lives are they just expected to hole up in some apartment somewhere after 150 days they can work uh the problem is that i mean and they get work authorization which is different than a green card they're, so if they have family back home, they're not allowed to bring their family over. So most of my clients are separated from like their wife and children or, you know, husband and child, which is extremely exhausting. Another aspect of that is you get no financial aid or anything to go to school. And a lot of these, my clients are very well educated as in like they have their PhDs or master's degrees, like just like, or JDs in one case, you know, just like incredibly intelligent people, but their degrees aren't recognized here. And so even though they have all these work experience and they can't get certified to do anything except work very, be very underemployed, which is a drag on our economy and a real shame. So they do have status here. It's legal status. They are here legally and they can work while their cases are being adjudicated, but it is a weird limbo. And from a psychological level, if you don't know when you're going to get, like, if you're going to get deported or, like, when you have a trial coming up, like, that is very, very hard to take for years. Well, and it's also, you know, one of the things that you hear about immigrants is this catch-22 of, well, they're coming to steal our jobs, but also, <laughs> God, they just, they sit on their asses all day and they don't do anything. I so love that. <laughs> we're so forcing funny. them to do the latter, by putting them through this limbo, it's like mm -hmm. it, it's another lose-lose situation. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it's all because of the way we as Americans handle the situation. I love that. I saw that meme actually where it's like, they're stealing our jobs and also taking all of our welfare because they won't work. That was really funny. <laughs> right. It's like, make up your mind. What are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Somehow those dots don't connect. <laughs> another aspect of this um, as it relates to you know, adding immigration judges and, and trying to speed the pace of these cases getting adjudicated is th this was an option presented to President Trump. It's in a bill that Ted Cruz is sponsoring right now in the Senate. He hears footsteps in the form of uh, Beto O'Rourke, who's running for Senate in Texas and might uh, be able to take him out of his seat. Um, but there were there were issues in the Obama administration when they also tried to speed up the pace of these hearings um, in terms of the attorneys that were on the border not feeling like immigrants actually got the due process that they were entitled to, that uh, they were referring to it as kind of an assembly line of justice where they didn't feel like immigrants had enough access to attorneys. They didn't feel like um, they really understood their options um, and, and didn't, the attorneys didn't feel like they had enough time to spend with their clients to really educate them on what the options were and, and how, you know, the decisions that they should make to, to move their case forward in, um, in a timely manner. 
the the thing that I'm worried about now within the context of the Trump administration is Jeff Sessions. I don't, did he, there was this reporting that he may sort of institute quotas for immigration judges. Do you remember Tori? If he, yeah, he hasn't actually, he hasn't actually gone through with that mostly because that's like, definitely illegal yeah uh there there's ways in which i think he's kind of tried to stack the deck against immigrants you know setting quotas for judges if if that ever comes to be the changes to asylum that i think are meant to make the bar higher for immigrants to clear and so it's easier for them to sort of dismiss these cases more quickly and, and deport immigrants more quickly when they may have you know asylum claims that would um you know that they should be able to stay here for so so i I don't know. I'm I don't really see any good path forward aside from a different administration, but I mean, can I address that though because yeah, I mean, yeah. the reason why Trump would not hire more immigration judges and asylum officers, which is what would ultimately solve the problem, and this is the truth that no one in his administration would say is that most of these people at the border have a legitimate case for asylum and would end up getting green cards eventually. And so his statistics would end up being because like if he sped up the process and actually fixed the system, that would fix the system is that he would have let more people in than Obama. If he did that, if it was what Cruz proposed, he's not going to do that because he does not want, he like wants to stall the system, but now he's created this problem for him where he's a hard liner on immigration, but he can't actually change the laws because that is outside his jurisdiction. It might be his DOJ, but the circuit courts aren't and like immigration goes up to circuit court. So even his uh, ruling last week that domestic violence is no longer a, um, or, you know, it, that a very specific type of domestic violence is no longer a, a reason for asylum that will get challenged in court. And like, I suspect it will be overturned. And so, I mean, he's limited in his power. And so if he incre- and most of these people do have humanitarian claims. So that's why more immigration judges weren't brought on, even though this is like the one good thing Ted Cruz, in my opinion, ever proposed. Well, and Trump made this really weird uh, rant at a speech to a bunch of small business owners last week where he said that all these new judges that um, Ted Cruz was trying to find money for would be like crooked or would not rule fairly. And, you know, we don't know who these judges are. We don't even have the money to put them down at the border yet. So how he knows that. They probably all have email problems. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, um, where does he think immigration judges come from? <laughs> like, he can confirm whoever he wants, but they still have to follow the law. Like, there's a lot of discretion, but at least to some extent, I don't know. That's a silly argument. Let's wrap this up with a discussion of uh, what is pending in the House this week. Um, so last week, word got out that the House was going to vote on two different immigration measures. Uh, these votes were basically forced on Republican leadership in the House because moderate Republicans were teaming up with Democrats to try to bypass leadership and get some legislation to both deal with this family separations issue and to also deal with the issue of DACA, which we haven't talked about today, but still lingers out there without any kind of solution. They were trying to force leadership's hand and leadership blocked this effort to force 
uh, to take a vote on some moderate legislation and decided to have a debate within the Republican caucus on two bills that are now up for consideration. One of them was a uh, conservative immigration bill that limited legal immigration flows. It had a kind of a narrow fix for current recipients on the DACA program. And it uh, gave a legislative solution to this issue of the Flores settlement that we talked about earlier that would allow the Trump administration to detain families for longer than 20 days. Basically, the idea being detain them as long as the case takes and then deport them after the case is over. Um, That bill was rejected by the House, and so they delayed a vote on the second bill, which was supposed to be a more moderate proposal. And that is a bill that's going to be up for vote this week. Um, This bill uh, that is up for vote this week, it has um, a path to legal status for DACA recipients. It still has this same issue with the Flores settlement, um, and it also gives uh, $25 billion to uh, Trump's border wall that he wants to build. Um, But the big difference on this bill versus the other one is that it keeps immigration levels the same, even though it changes some of the existing visa programs, Um, the basically the number of immigrants that would be allowed in under current law versus this bill are, are kind of roughly the same. The interesting thing, though, as it relates to this is neither of these bills were expected to pass. The conservative one was seen as uh, way too conservative for moderates, and the moderate one is seen as amnesty by this hard right flank of conservatives known as the Freedom Caucus, who have, at least as of now, don't appear uh, willing to back this bill. To bring this back to y'all, if we don't see any action out of the House this week, you still have the Flores issue out there. You still have no solution on DACA. I mean, where where do we kind of leave this debate in terms of like a path forward if, if you know, even the, the House can't agree on something? That's a very good question. <laughs> Wait, isn't we're, it, we're both over here like shrugging and looking at each other like, we don't know. Like, you should answer. No, you should answer. Yeah. Um, I have no idea where the immigration debate is or where it's going. Um I mean, I feel like I've gone up and down with this so many times, you know, and things that I never thought would pass past, things that I thought would always be in place were canceled. And so all these bills, I'm kind of like, I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, well, and I just, this, this wall, what is with this wall? (laughs) Like everything is about this wall. So I actually wrote one of my senators, um, I actually love my representative so Mostly when I write to him, I'm like, hey, you you do you, John Lewis. Um, but but when I write my senators, I'm like, get the politics and partisan stuff out of there. Forget the wall. <laughs> Dude, Just- I would take the wall if we got a decent immigration bill. I'm like, waste the money. Like, or right. build a fence. Like, it'll be, like, down in a couple years because that's what happens to walls. <laughs> like, Ka- yeah, Kamala Harris, President Kamala Harris will get to make her tear down this wall speech in about four years. <laughs> and, like, they're not going to finish it in that ki- in that time anyway. And, I mean, if you want to waste money, then what was the quote that it's, like, a 30-foot wall is only as good as like a 29 foot ladder it's like yeah like people will always find ways to get over a wall or under or through or it or go to a port of entry and ask for asylum which is 100 percent legal that doesn't solve any of the problems that we're dealing with right now i mean build build the wall 
You know, I'm like, if if it gives my clients DACA and it gives, like, these people at the border amnesty, then, yes, you can build the damn wall, even though it's so painful for me to say. Right. It's It's so dumb. like, obsession with it. Like, every time I turn around, this wall, I'm like, oh, why? You want some Legos? (laughs) It's true, though. That's how I feel. I'm like, it's almost like, just give him the cookie, man. Just give him the cookie and, like, give us the law. I don't even care anymore. Well, yeah, that is uh, the original question that prompted this discussion. You both got that right. There there basically is no path forward right now. <laughs> no. Um, really, you know, there's, there's the issue of anything that is conservative enough to get out of the House is not going to get any Democratic support in the Senate. And it's really unclear if Trump wants to sign anything at all. He has gone back and forth time and time again saying, you know, I'll sign anything they send me to why are Republicans wasting their time pursuing immigration law or pursuing changes to immigration law? We should just do it after we win more seats in the election in November. Um, he feels a lot better about his party's chances than I think anybody else does. So, um, but he's getting you his know, news from Fox and Friends. Yeah. And so, you know, that really does leave this issue kind of hanging out there. It leaves the DACA issue hanging out there, um, which is sort of in a gray area because of where the courts have put it. But it, it, it certainly isn't something people can rely on. And and even that was meant to be a Band-Aid um, in the absence of comprehensive immigration reform. Um, so I don't know. I don't I don't think that this is going to go anywhere before the election. Um, and I think we're going to be dealing with these issues through Election Day. And you know, this is, I think, going to be an issue for that Republicans have to answer for. And the somewhat ironic thing is it's the moderate Republicans that have kind of wanted to do the right thing and find a solution for DACA, find a solution for the family separations um, and, you know, find something bipartisan that can pass. And they're the ones that are going to end up losing their seats because of how the districts are drawn. So, um, you know, they'll be replaced by Democrats probably that want to do something. But, you know, you kind of never know about elections. All right. Well, Tori, thank you so much for coming back and joining the show again. It, again, it's always an honor. This is my favorite, favorite podcast of all time. And Megan, great, great first day. Great first podcast. Uh, thanks so much for coming on to be a contributor. We're really excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. All right. And with that, y'all, we will leave it there and we will talk to y'all next week. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.